episode 104. This is the New Year's episode. Happy New Year! Happy New Year, everybody! If you guys are listening to this, it means you've made it. Almost to New Year, if not into New Year. If you're watching us on YouTube, you'll see that we put on our special YouTube clothing and decorations. And if you're really, really astute, you'll probably notice that our New Year's decoration and clothing very similar to our Christmas decoration and clothing. But it's not the same. Coincidence? Yeah, it's just... You be the judge. Yeah, you be the judge. So we hope that you are looking forward with joy and untrammeled optimism to 2021, because we are, and we hope to kick it off with this episode. Having some fun, getting some laughs, maybe, maybe providing a little education. Who can know? But here we go, all the same. Come on along. You guys want a a surefire moneymaker? It's... I'm for pretty, this one, I'm pretty what? excited about the first one on your list there. I really want that's, to hear about it. That's the, oh, that one. Oh, well, okay. Well, let's start with that. So the first item on my list, and this one is going to be my usual 20% pre, like 20% of the gross as opposed to the net. And it's the shower toilet. So this came about as a result of conversations about how in Japan, they have toilets that sing to you to cover the sound of your emissions. They have toilets with, with uh, heated lids, of course, and special lighting. They have toilets where the bathroom sink is installed in the top of the toilet. It's a tiny little sink, but you wash your hand up there and the wastewater is used to fill the tank, which is kind of a great idea. And so then I thought, well, huh, in the interests of combining function like that, what about the to- toilet shower? So you just build a toilet right into the shower in case you happen to need to use the toilet while you're in the shower. I think it's a huge potential moneymaker. I understand, you know, there could be some logistical issues both around construction and certainly the use. I, I wasn't able to really imagine all the use scenarios that could be a problem, but there it is. Skinny, that's been invented in trailers, though. No way. Is that right? Yes, there's trailers that have the toilets are actually in the shower. It's all one unit. That makes sense. Oh, sorry, skin. <laughs> uh, how about two percent? Would two percent be okay? <laughs> it's on sale. This but idea. I'm, you're talking you're talking big home construction, not these well, little. Yeah. Big, I mean, it's maxed out for space, right? In a in a trailer. Yeah, and I mean that would be a thing like space. I mean, I'm just thinking about. <laughs> What's funny about that is, of course, as usual with most of my money-making ideas, it's suggested pretty much 90% in jest. Like, this is a stupid thing. And it's surprising how often one of them turns out to actually have been invented already. And that is one that's a surprise to me. I didn't know that. Wow. Okay, well, uh, still, if you wanted to go house-sized, and one another thing I did think about is, you know, people... A lot of people actually like to use their bathtub to have baths in. And if it had a toilet mounted at one end, would you still want to have a bath in there? I don't know if you would. You know, and also, wouldn't it mean that it needed way more space than it used to need? Yeah, I think so, it just makes sense for showers, right? Like I Maybe, think, yeah. Yeah, otherwise you got to use the toilet for a pillow. Something, yeah. you got to yeah. lean up against it, rest your head again, you know. Yeah. But... That's a I, I that's a truly bizarre idea, Skin. I've never heard that one. Toilet in bathtub, but 
Well, but go, there you go, go, man. That's uh, twenty. I didn't twenty percent on that one. Got to think, <laughs> think outside <laughs> the box, <laughs> or inside uh, the tub. Inside the tub. <laughs> Got to think outside the toilet. <laughs> Uh, and the next one here, the next one I had on my giant surefire money-making idea list was, uh, this one is 2% because this is a very common idea, I believe, uh, that many, many organizations and individuals have sought to achieve. And unfortunately, just by proposing it, I can't propose exactly how you do it. And it was to become the purveyor of truth. Uh, whether you're a network or an individual, somehow get yourself into a position where nobody thinks you're the source of any fake news ever. So like, and that's what gave rise to it is the undermining of all kinds of media and lack of belief in journalism, you know, primarily Trump has fostered just so that he can negate any negative coverage of him. He can just say it's fake, even though videos exist of him saying and doing this stuff. He just says those are fake. So everything, so people don't know at all who they can listen to or watch and actually believe. So if you can navigate yourself into that position somehow, where you're the one guy who it's clear to everybody you you don't speak on behalf of anybody, then you'll be super rich. Trouble is, A, it's not a very novel idea, and B, it's super hard to do. So only 2% for that one. 2% only. because you haven't really told them how to achieve it. No, not at all. So it's not even all an idea so much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm dying to hear yours. Let me hear them because you can top that idea. No, I mean, I could, I could, okay. If you wanted to go that way, you could say, all right, let's open up the university on how to become the purveyor of truth and offer courses. And the irony would be, of course, that the university itself is largely fakey because nobody can become the purveyor of truth. But you would offer the courses anyways. Establish a social media presence. Always speak to both sides of any issue. Document as much of everything as you can from other sources that people accept. All that crap. There is such a place. I mean, yeah, there is such a thing. It's called, uh, I'm sure there's more than one, but one that's fairly, um, I guess, substantial is called the News Literacy Project. Oh. And and it's all about te- teaching you what, what to trust and not to trust. The problem is that any well thought out thing like that, that, that has research behind it and, you know, experts, so to say, and communications and, and uh, how to weigh truth, that, you know, inherently is not believed by right-wing Republicans. Two things in response. One of them is I'm not, I'm not interested in teaching people how to listen and view critically. I'm interested in teaching people how to become the person that people will turn to oh, yes. so that they don't have to listen to critically. They can just accept that you're saying the truth. Absolutely. And that would have that same kind of idea of the, the infomercials where people teach you how to invest and become a multi-billionaire. Yeah. But they themselves don't make their money through following their own advice. They just make their money by tricking people into... Yeah, yeah, 100%. So I would, you know, you set up a university to teach people how to become yes. purveyors of truth. Yes. Boy, you I sure guess, wrecked that. That was, that was a million dollars. I was pretty excited, uh, and now it's just over. Well, you were kind of underselling it anyway, the 2%. <laughs> but um, as a purveyor, that means you're selling, right? Yes, and what would happen is, so of truth course, for you'd, sale. Have a massive, you'd have a massively popular social media presence. You know, every tweet you ever did 
would be retweeted by news agencies and quoted by news agencies because, of mm -hmm. course, they would understand that you have a massive following because you're universally regarded as a reliable source of information, of true information. You'd have to, you know, publish a million pictures of yourself in the middle of deserts and at ruins and in political summit meetings and all this and interviewing famous people so that you were known to be somebody who does not just pass on the f unfound rumors of other organizations. You go look into it yourself. Hmm. No? No? Okay, fine. There are a few holes in it. I, I think you'd agree. 2%. <laughs> uh, RJ, tell us about switching from Kudo to Fido because, uh, you know, that is fascinating. I know. I put that in the uh, any list and I said fascinating, I know. So I won't spend too much time on it. Just a recommendation of PSA. Basically, we, I've been through this before with the major telecoms, like your home internet service and stuff, but it, the same goes for your cell number. When I've switched from Fido to Kudo about four years ago, and I've just now switched from Kudo back to Fido, super easy to do. Once again, regulations to the rescue. They really, really work. They are required to follow a certain protocol. You basically, every once in a while, you look for sales. And if the other guys have a better sale than your guys, you call up your guys and you say, can you match this sale? And when they say, no, we really can't, just not, can't do it. And this happened to me. Usually they just match the sale, but this happened to me. So I said, okay, thanks very much. Call up Fido and say, can you give me your sale? In this case, it's six gigabytes for $50. So call up Fido. And the next thing you know, it turns out it's six gigabytes for $45. In fact, I didn't even, did I call him up? Yeah, I called him up to make sure I was doing it right on the website. And then the next thing I know when I'm checking out, it's, no, actually, we're going to throw two more gigs. So I got eight gigabytes for $45. And then wow. the thing is that you just tell them your cell phone number and you're done. Like a, it all just magically happens behind well, the scenes. Almost perfect. Like you do have to put a new SIM card in your phone. Like two days later, the courier arrives and all the fees are waived, you know, the new SIM fee and all that stuff. Oh, and you got this little SIM card. You have to figure out how to take out the old one, put in the new one. And then they tell Kudo, hey, your customer just switched to us. <laughs> and it's important. Don't cancel your, you don't call your current provider to cancel. Don't do that. Even though it's satisfying to do that. Don't do it. You just call the, the new guys. They take care of everything, including canceling your old plan. Nice. So yeah, so if you're if you're getting hosed on data, in particular, um, or you just pay feel you're paying too much, it does. It is. I'm making it sound easier than it is. It still is, ends up being a couple hours of your time by the time you're done. Still though, still, still, still. And yes, uh, whatever company wins your business, you know, it's an employee perk to be the guy that gets a hold of the other organization and says, "We just stole your customer." Yeah. Like they, they get, that goes in rotation because it's so deeply satisfying for the employees to call the competitor. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I, uh, here's one for you guys. Speaking of switching and changing Netflix, Netflix, those dirty dogs are going to, I believe, $19 a month. I think they're at 14 right now and they're going to 19, I think. Is that right, RJ? Well, for my plan, which I think they, we can't have any more than two concurrent people Same. watching. Uh, is $13 a month. Oh, I thought it was 14, but okay. Yeah. 13. Yeah. And it just went up to 14. 
So $1, first price rise in, what, four years? Something like that? Yeah, a few. Yeah. Yeah, so I misinformed yeah. by my youngest daughter then, because my youngest daughter told me it was going to 19. And they just notified the hell out of me. I got three emails. And then when I go into Netflix itself, it says, oh, okay, just so you know, you're about to pay a dollar. Like they did the, they did, they bent over backwards to make sure we're notified. Yeah. I, I got some notification, but I wasn't alarmed by it. And then she said it was going to 19 and I was alarmed. No. I started thinking I should go to some alternate provider because that's an outrage. That's a 40% increase. You know, I got no. bent. I mean, Netflix is amazingly good value. The, the only thing, the only thing that they should do is they should be charging tax mm. and you go, well, holy smokes, that makes it more expensive for us. Right. But that money just flows to the States. And so, you know, even though Crave is not your friend, it is a Canadian thing and Crave charges tax because they have to, they're Canadian. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's unfair to have our money just getting thrown at the Americans because the Canadian government is incapable of collecting tax. Spineless. Yeah. So anyway, of course the conservatives are all up outraged, but I think it's a good thing. I just recently saw a recommendation for a, a Netflix program where people bring in their treasured family heirlooms and get them repaired at some shop. <laughs> and that uh, a, That's a loom that weaves hair, is it? Yeah, yeah, because who knew? Every family has them. They get handed down generation after generation. They're prized and treasured, displayed in places of respect and veneration, and all they do is weave hair. Um, they get them fixed. They get them assessed, which has been going on. The Antiques Roadshow, they've been doing that forever. But these ones, they fix them. They restore them. And I think that really would be fun. And it's not available in Canada. It's only available in U.S. Netflix. Mm -hmm. And every time I run into those only available on U.S. Netflix things, I'm irritated because, <sighs> yeah, it's a copyright thing. And yeah, make the deal so that you can see it across the border and all of that stuff, eh? hate that. Netflix is a pretty good value. For the amount of hours, not so much lately, but in the past that I've spent sitting in front of the TV watching Netflix, it comes to like 50 cents an hour, you know, for the entertainment value. So I just watched uh, a season one of a show you may or may not have heard of called The Crown. I have heard of it, but I have not watched it. Fantastic. So it's really worth watching. Well, yeah, for me, I mean, I've never been a big fan, not a hater of royalty, but not a big fan either. And I think it has to do with originally growing up in the States perhaps. Yeah. But yeah, so my knowledge about royalty and its relationship with the church and its relationship with the government mm. is fairly weak. I mean, I know a little bit about how, how it works in Canada, but man, it's very educating. And of course, I think it's quasi fictional because who knows what was really going on. KJ, did you watch any of that one? No, no. Okay. But I'm certainly getting pushed that way because everybody's so excited about the fourth season. Yes, because Princess Diana's in that one. And yeah. Margaret Thatcher. Right. And that all, and great actors. I did hear a bad review, though, for um, uh, Jillian uh, playing Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, I, yeah. Like, I heard hints of that, too. Yeah, the offer game or something. I, I'm not sure. I'll have to watch it myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for me, starting out with season one totally makes sense because it's like, really? That went on back then? You get, you get a much better 
feel for, uh, like, you know, Edward, the guy that abdicated, he's a major character throughout season one. Mm. Um, you know, princess Philip is a young man and what were his interests and (laughs) yeah. You said princess Philip, that's all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let me try that again then. (laughs) Prince Philip is a young man and what his interests were. All I know about that whole series is I saw some little social media news clip about how uh, Prince Charles was concerned with how Diana was portrayed in the series. Right. And I just thought, I so don't care what Prince Charles is concerned about (laughs) at all, not even remotely. I thought you had said that it was Prince Philip that was concerned. I may have, but it was actually Prince Charles. Oh, that makes more sense now. Yeah. Because they were married. But boy, oh boy, she, she didn't have a lot of respect for him. No. Uh, after, cause yeah, I just don't care. I don't want to care. That's right. We featured as big Royals fans, didn't we? Way back in episode 10 or something like that. Probably. Yeah. 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 It's just, again, my, my, my ongoing voyage towards socialism, uh, leaves me thinking that they're, a, they're a quaint anachronism that really it's money that could be better spent. The only thing is they generate so much in tourist revenue for the governments of oh, the UK. Right. Yes. Yeah. That it is probably a huge deal to keep them alive and try to keep them relevant because they're making money like crazy. Oh, especially them. now with the crown actually, cause it's so popular. Yeah. You know, if we, we hope to go back to the UK fairly soon cause we just loved it so much. And, uh, yeah, we, of course we paid attention to the royalty stuff and a lot of the stuff that we saw as tourists figures pretty majorly in the series. So yeah, I, I just loved yeah. it. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, the historical stuff's great. I really think it is great. Speaking of great, listeners, I don't know if you're aware, in our history, both in the podcast and in general, RJ has established himself as a somewhat unreliable recommender of entertainments, (laughs) movies, videos. He'll give something two big thumbs up and you'll watch it and you'll think, what? What happened? What's the matter with his thumbs? Why did they go up for this? I don't get it. My, but, my classic was uh, that I really liked Robin Williams and Popeye. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> which, which was by my personal standards, an unmitigated disaster. And I just thought, oh, what, how did this end up? How am I watching this? But on one episode recently, a few, few back there somewhere, he recommended Ted Lasso. It's the, the, the basic storyline is, um, a guy who's only coached American football gets recruited to coach a Premier League uh, soccer team in the UK. And it kind of just goes from there. And Rich raved about it. I watched the entire thing and I just thought, this is great. It was really good. So I strongly concur with that recommendation. Which means, of course, listeners, that sooner or later I'm going to stumble into some other horrible thing because I'll take him at his word and watch a recommendation that's more of the usual RJ level recommendation. Right. I I guess my question for you is going forward now that you had the Ted Lasso experience, will you, you know, trust my recommendations more? Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. I I'm by having enjoyed that so much, I've doomed myself to some unpalatable viewing experience in the future because I'll take you at your word and you know, your overall track record while slightly improved by the Ted Lasso success is still weak. And so, (laughs) There you go. That's that's all. Although, you know, Dirty Dancing, maybe not a classic, but the plot thing, most fun I've had in a long time. Entertaining, yep. Entertaining. Hey, I'm into uh, fifth season of Glee. 
just to keep you boys up. <laughs> oh, my gotten himmel. Uh, uh, just for my uh, 50 cent an hour Netflix binge. But <laughs> I guess at the end, I don't know, it might, might have even been the last episode. They, they, there's a, a gun goes off in the school and it is just riveting. Like, you know, we've been dancing our ways through people's hearts and, you know, everything's just happy. And then all of a sudden you hear these two gunshots. And I thought, holy shit. Like, these guys are... I mean, I'm sure that happened in other TV shows at the time, like right after Florida and all that stuff, right? But I just thought, what a brave setup. Like, what a brave thing to do. And just how they did it was seriously blew me away. Blew me away. I couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. I just wanted to throw that out there. So how many seasons of Glee are there? I think there might be seven. Okay. And you've been making your way through them? Yes. Yes. He's at five. He's at season, season five. Loving just, just about every minute of, sometimes they go a little bit off the rails, but, and you know, it's, uh, well, I won't get into it, but. Yeah. I need, I should probably give it a chance because I have never, ever been the slightest bit tempted to watch it Uh, oh well in my case it's because that's that's the school i wanted to go to right in high school what is the school what is the school well or just a glee club club. yeah to have a glee club where you sing everybody knows all the songs and it uh orchestras instantly appear behind you and costumes appear on your body and sets and you know i mean you can sort of buy some of the fantasy, but anyway, it's just too cool as far as my brain is concerned. I, like I, I watched the first episode. I'm sure I wept through every song, and then the second episode, I wept through every song, like seriously. <laughs> nice. And I'm still not quite as much as that, but very nice. Boy, <laughs> RJ uh, or KJ, sorry, that's twice now. And I was going to do something about saying I'm now going to channel RJ in my response to the gunshot thing, but I, I can't put this on him. My first thought there was, isn't that a thing that long-running comedy series do too? They they suddenly go dramatic. Like you've got a comedy thing, everything's light and fluffy, and then one of the characters gets cancer. You know, the, oh man, viewership, is is Ted going to die? And it goes way up and, and then gonna we deal with I'm going to guess them. that it's not strictly comedy though. No, but it's the same idea, right? It's a genre bending plot strategy where your genre is whatever, and then you introduce a plot element that's really out of left field for you. Uh, it's usually, I think it's usually from lighter to heavier, just as in the case of Glee or a comedy series. I don't know if it would work the other way. You know, like you're, you're having LA law and you suddenly go, comic <laughs> burst into song <laughs> yeah don't know if that would really work i think there have been those haven't there like i can't remember what it is but some like dallas or some one of those kind of dramas had a really 100 comp- percent musical like everything wow. was a song I, I wish i could remember what it was wow i'd love to know how it did i wonder if it was a train wreck oh or whether it i i i have something yeah yeah i know something like that too about another show that did a whole did, musical thing. Yeah, I think that's probably the same one. But uh, I read a New York Times best 25 actors of this century so far. Yeah. I just scanned through it. The next thing I know, I rented four movies or checked them out from the library. So just quick capsules, just to find out if you guys have seen any of these. I'll start with uh, the least likely, although it's Korean. So maybe you guys have seen this. 
called Right Now, Wrong Then. Nope. Okay. Is it a movie? It's, yes, it's a movie, and the female actress was considered one of the best of the century. So what would her name be? I'm looking it up. Yeah, right. Because I want to see that already right now. Okay, so right now, wrong then. It's one of those kind of artistic directors, Korean guy. Basically, what year is it? Uh, night, uh, 2017. Oh. And basically, it's a love story, and it's two people, of course, the main protagonists. What happens to them? I'm not going to say what happens to them, but but they have it happen, right? And then halfway through the movie, it comes to an end. And then the movie starts over again. Almost identical, but with these little small differences here and there. And more and more differences as it goes through. So it has a totally different outcome. Fascinating to watch. Really fun. Nice acting. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. Okay. Because why would I not? It's one awards. It's That's good. There you go. Nice, nice. Uh, number two. Uh, you guys probably have heard of this one. It's another snooty movie because it's done by Lars von Trier or Trier or however snooty. you pronounce it. Snooty. Yeah, anybody with any European director means that it's kind of snooty. Am I right? It's an art film. Um, this one's called Dogville. <laughs> nope. I haven't seen it. Uh, okay. I'm just, <laughs> I, I've yeah. seen quite a few Lars von Trier, you know, his, uh, his deal, right? No, it, everything is uh, natural lighting. Okay. Like natural light, like sunlight and candlelight, and props have to be real. There, there's a whole bunch of rules to his uh, movie right. making format. I, I don't Very, know what they all are. Very good. And this one, there, he's done a trilogy in the form of this one. So Dogville's the first of the trilogy. Stars Nicole Kidman. So Nicole Kidman was considered one of the top twenty-five actors of this century. Mm. Um, and her, she's the main character in Dogville, but Dogville has an ensemble cast. They're all kind of, you look at them and you know them, right? Like Lauren Bacall plays an important role. Can I just throw a question out to the panel? How do we feel about that? Uh, Nicole Kidman, top actresses of this century. I like everything I've seen her in, especially mm -hmm. Big Little Lies is just amazing. Okay. Um, okay. All right. Our, uh, KJ, do you got? Uh, uh, no, I, I like her. I don't. I'm not surprised she's in the top 25, but then again. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are some very questionable calls in the top 25. So, but anyway, so Dogville, um, KJ, I think you would totally love watching it. It's just three hours long and you just soak it in and it just moves. And they basically structure it like a stage play. It's the first of three that they do in this manner. It's a set the set does not look realistic. The set looks like a map. So down the center of this small town called Dogville is Elm Street. Well, you start out from overhead, and there's the words Elm Street written clearly on it. So you think, oh, there's just starting out giving you a map. No, no, actually the whole thing is acted out on that map, like on the set. So Elm Street's always there. There are partial buildings, but largely when they go into a building, they open a fake door, step through, and close the fake door behind them. And there's a sound effect. The lighting, like you say, is like, it's very, I listened to the director's commentary for a while and the lighting was a real, real challenge to get it to work, but it, they got it to work really well. Awesome movie. Really, really I'm just good. Look, looking at this cast list, you're right about that. There's Paul Bettany. There's all kinds of people in here. Ben Gazzara, John Hurt, John, James Kahn, John, yeah. Stellan Skarsgård. I mean, geez, yeah, there's yeah. a whole bunch of names in here. Blair Brown. 
basic premise. It's a very, very small town. She's running away from the city from her gangster. Gangsters are chasing her. And here she is. She can start over in this small town as long as they don't call up the number and turn her in. Mm. So that's it. Fantastic. And the third one, if you can believe it, New York Times had Melissa McCarthy in the top 25. Um, and then one of the movies that they said she's just fantastic in is a comedy called Spy. I watched that, I think. Yeah, and yeah. It was good. Yeah. I really like her. She's. I, I find her comedy is just terrific. I, I, yeah. I guess what I'm thinking here is 25 is a lot. Yeah. 25 is a pretty big number of people. Yeah, I guess in starring roles, I suppose it is. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, um, I, we didn't think that much of it, but it might be because we didn't turn subtitles on. And I quite honestly was struggling to hear a lot of the references and stuff. So I think that had a lot to do with it. But um, so much of it was uh, kind of making fun of her for being fat, not making fun of her, but treating her poor because she's overweight. And I thought, is, are all her movies like that? Or do, does she ever do movies where her weight is not a major reference? I think so. I can't remember them. I've, I've seen several of them, but it, it's probably they poke fun in every movie, but it, I don't think it's the center of every plot. Yeah, like the uh, Gilmore Girls, think. there was no reference to her weight. Um, yeah. And she was great in that, but uh, yeah. Never watched that. I, I did, just didn't even know she was in it, to be honest. Anyway, Spy is a light comedy. I mean, I, I enjoyed it well enough, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was a great movie by any means. Yeah, that's, I think I'm with you there. I'm on the page. And there you go. I started with the stronger ones, stronger two, and ended with the less strong one. Well, I'm definitely going to watch the Korean one at some point. Really nice, um, that one. What do we got, boys? What do we got? I've got never paddled into a bait ball. Yeah, what is that? There's a, I hadn't looked at the link. Um, I suspect based on this is one of the world's longest links, I'll say that. And if you just read the link, you got an idea what the story is. But why don't you just take us through that? Yeah, so it's a couple kayakers. I guess it was in California because that's what the link says. Basically, they're out in kayaks and just having a blast. Why? Because they'd see these swarms of fish. And I don't know why, but they call these fish bait balls. Um, I get it from the sense that the whales love them. <laughs> like anytime the whales would see. And what kind of whales were they? Were they orcas? Humpbacks. Humpbacks. Anytime they see this swarm of fish, then they basically, what the humpbacks are doing, I think is circling around the swarm and kind of congesting it. And then they just come straight up and gobble yep. them up. And that's why they're called bait balls. Cause they herd them into that ball oh, shape, like a big go. cyclone. And then they just, oh. just chow down. Okay. That totally makes sense then. And so basically these kayakers are having a blast. They go, Oh, oh, oh look, there's a bait ball. There's a bait ball. Boom. Big whale just comes up, you know, 50 feet away. Amazing. So they're paddling towards the next bait ball and they suddenly see that there's nothing but fish all around their kayak. <laughs> and whoom, up, somebody else, of course, is filming this. Whoom, up it comes and they literally went in the whale's mouth. Are you and, kidding? And live to tell the tale. So I will provide a link to that for our listeners and uh, for you guys. You should pop in there and have a look. I just do look at it. It's pretty fun. I don't even know if I want to look at that. 
Well, you can't. I, I don't think there's a video. Well, maybe there is. I but there's, basically there's a video, and and you have to kind of trust. They say we're pretty sure. One of them says I'm pretty sure I was in the whale's mouth. It all happened so quick. It was hard to figure out, but they actually yeah. came out of it fine, and they resolved never to get within a couple hundred feet of the one of those situations again. She says, uh, it's definitely woke me up to the realization that, you know, our place is not in the feeding zone of whales. <laughs> no kidding. Jeez. Were, were, was fun. the kayak destroyed or their kayaks? I like think it was more so. I believe it was just one kayak hmm. and I think it got destroyed, but you'll have to watch to find out. But the video's fantastic. So KJ, just no. looking at the list here, are you saying we should watch the sit-in with Harry Belafonte and then discuss? Oh my God, that's good. Do you want to go over it for us? Well, it's just that uh, he sat in on Johnny Carson for a week oh, in that. 1968 or something, right in the right in the middle of the the uh, uh, riots in Chicago and all the stuff, and he had all the biggest black actors, singers, dancers, whoever on the show, and I just didn't realize um, how much of a, a sort of forward-thinking activist. Yeah, 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 but but really, really in tune and uh, really pushing it out there, and I I just thought it was a fascinating little look at history, and also that Carson um, invited him to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, 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 I think he gets Bobby Kennedy on there. But anyway, it's you should have a look at it. Sounds great. It must be on YouTube. I'm trying to think where I saw it. Oh, oh, it was. Uh, I must have seen it on MSNBC, I think. It was just one of those specials, right? And I also oh, watched um, the Obama special because Thanksgiving, right? So all, all my news shows are not on. <clears throat> and that's pretty fascinating, too. And then uh, I realized that Keegan Michael, what's his name in Schmigadoon, it plays um, Obama's angry inside self at the yes. <laughs> journalist dinner, whatever that, that thing's called. Oh, the mic drop thing. Yeah, 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 but he plays the angle. Oh, my God. That's really fun. You know, and Trump was in the audience, right? Oh, yeah. At that one. And Obama just, <laughs> it's pretty fun. It's really good. Yeah, so the the just to say, to close the loop on that, got to back up to, like you say, it is called The Sit-In. Yeah, it's called The Sit-In. Harry, Harry Belafonte hosts The Tonight Show. Hosted by Joy Reid. It's a 49-minute special. Oh, it's Joy Reid. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and so that that's great. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Boy, did I ever not understand that thing in our list. I saw that thing in our list, Harry Belafonte, The Sit-In, and I thought, that sounds like a Peter Sellers comedy movie or something. <laughs> like, what, and Harry Belafonte was in it? I, I what are we, Why are we watching this? That... That's what I so thought. I'm glad that came up. That's what I thought. I, I thought it was a movie. Yeah, yeah I fully did. I, I, kind of a dumb sounding movie at that. Yeah, so, no, that's good. That's another good one. Well, I think we have New Year's coming up pretty quick, guys. We do. <laughs> hey, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> happy New Year. And thank God that year is over. Yeah. <laughs> No kidding. Let's all take a moment and be happy about that. Listeners, it's not long now. The year's going to be over. Oh, my God. 
saw a thing on Twitter and maybe I misunderstood it, but I thought it was pretty funny. Somebody, somebody said, is anybody else worrying that 2021 is looking at 2020 and saying, hold my beer. (laughs) 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 And it was in reference, it was in reference to the possibility of a giant earthquake because they had some, they had some tremors up North. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so somebody was saying, is anybody else worrying? I thought that was pretty funny. Because it's the same old thing, the same old joke, eh? Like Jesse was saying in uh, the, one of those Halloween episodes about, well, at least it couldn't get any worse. <laughs> <laughs> sure enough. <laughs> Wrong. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm pretty happy to see the end of 2020. That's a, that's a long, short year. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I think about the beginning of the year. You know, hockey was going on. Things were just going on as they go. I was driving the shuttle. Mm-hmm. It seems like a thousand years since I drove the shuttle. And uh, yeah, absolutely. We sit for but me. We have to survive the first 20 days of yes, January yeah. Yeah. before. Well, even who knows then, but maybe we might be able to actually breathe a sigh of relief. I for, think so. For real. Yeah, I mean, but he's going to do as much damage as he can. Mm-hmm. And so that's too bad, but you kind of shrug and you go, you know, you have faith that the uh, the new administration is doing as much as they can to prepare for fixing the damage, even though it's going to take a while. So, There arrived successfully transitioned you all seamlessly in fact into the new year even if you're listening to this and it's still actually 2020 you're now emotionally and intellectually prepared to face whatever the new year brings like a dog in the background (laughs) any resolutions guys no i don't have any i never do resolutions i don't either i don't either i got tired of uh, putting all that pressure on myself to do things that i knew i needed to do anyway so well, I think I'm going to just have a new rule that there should be more Christmas lights in the shed right all on. the time. It's an amazing job you did with those. I think of the three of us, if we had a user poll, and users do feel free to respond on this, of the three shed dogs, I really feel KJ has hit it out of the park with his prep. <laughs> I, I really do think that it's not even very close. Uh, we, Rich and I tried pretty hard. We did a good job. Yeah. KJ, out of the park. I just threw those lights up on whatever they hung on. 
It doesn't matter. They're reflected in the cigarette machine mirror. You've got the you got the full Santa hair. Yeah. First of all, that's that's an unbeatable thing just by itself. I'm going to wear this down to the drive. <laughs> right on. Absolutely. I'm sure when you plug them in, at least one was burnt out. Correct. Uh, I didn't really look. I didn't care. Actually. Oh, okay. Well, that makes it easy. Among the things you can now do, having successfully navigated this episode, is get all that Christmas stuff taken down and put away. Damn it! Get on with your life. It's 2021. It's a new year. We got things to do. DJ's right, boys. DJ's going to have to repeat the the theme music two or three times for the outro. <laughs> it's great. I've become, I've become very skilled at splicing the theme music to make it just endless. <laughs> you know, just on. <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, everyone. We hope you have a great time, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye.